Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss examples of major customer experience fails that were so easy to avoid, including a server blaming the kitchen for a food mistake, a professional sports team not valuing a 34-year season ticket holder, and a B2B partnership gone awry when one company publicly badmouthed the other? Salads, sports, and stupidity. Oh my... There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. So most of the time we talk about positive customer experiences on the experience of this show, but today we thought we'd try something a little bit different. Each segment in today's episode is about a customer experience fail and what we can all learn from it. Wah, wah. <laughs> Thanks for the noise, for the music. So Sorry. you probably know about me and Joey that we don't really like to name names when we're talking about companies that have failed because there's plenty of people out there that are already doing that and that are piling onto these companies in social media and elsewhere. So we don't believe that the names really matter. It's the takeaways that do. So take that into consideration as we present three very interesting customer experience fails. And the first one that we're going to start with is a CX Press that is brought to us by our old friend Shep Hyken, who wrote on Hyken.com a blog post called Don't Blame Me, I Just Work Here. And Shep describes an incident that he had personally at an expensive steak restaurant where the entire table ordered salads and the server comes and delivers the salads. And it is very clear to everyone at the table that one of the salads is way smaller than the other. It's not like a tiny <laughs> bit, like missing a tomato. It's like, who's the little guy who gets the little <laughs> salad, right? right. I mean, Someone got, like, got the kid's portion, right? Oh, my gosh. And, of course, the, you know, the server doesn't even see anything wrong. And apparently, the friend of Shep's spoke up and, and mentioned it. And the server actually replied... I don't make them. I just serve them. And then he walked away. (laughs) (laughs) Just when you thought the story could get no more surreal, they just walked away. I love it. You know, my wife has this uh, wonderful quote that she gave me. And to be clear, she was not speaking in the context of our personal relationship. She was helping me with a speech. But the quote she came up with that I think is so apropos to this is, it may not be your fault, but it's your problem. And I think if businesses were to adopt a mantra for these type of scenarios, I would propose that this would be a good mantra, okay? It's not the server's fault. The server didn't make the salad. But when you walk out and you place the salads down, the server had to notice 
that somebody got the kitty size salad, not the grown up salad, right? I mean, that, that, I can understand if it was like, oh, we're busy and I forgot that you got the one without croutons or something like that. I can understand mistakes happen. That makes sense. But like the actual act of placing the plates, the server had to notice this. And then it's compounded by the customer saying, hey, by the way, this one seems a lot smaller than the others. And to respond with just the disdain of, I don't make them. I just serve them. Peace and walk away. It's just ridiculous. And then this wasn't at, you know, this was at a nice restaurant, as I understand it. Yeah, high end restaurant. And I like Barrett's quote. And I would even add on to it to say that it becomes your problem, yes, but it also becomes an opportunity because this is where the the server really could have made a great impact and and made the experience better by hopefully doing something above and beyond, but at the very least, recognizing that the customer was right. And maybe the server didn't notice, right? Maybe he went in the back and grabbed six salads or however many people were sitting with Shep and just you know was too focused on balancing them all to realize that one of them was smaller. But when the customer speaks up, that's definitely your opportunity to make something better. So Shep says that he felt the server failed them in three different ways. One, he didn't take care of his customer. Two, he didn't represent the brand well, the brand being the high-end restaurant. And three, he blamed someone else. Yeah, all three of these are bad things, right? And the, the crazy thing is, when you hire employees, I believe in empowering them to create fun experiences. And so the opportunity to take a bad experience and turning into a good one is really easy. I mean, in this setting, I could imagine a scenario, especially since so many people are eating healthy, you could say, okay, so clearly we have one salad here that's too small. This is going to go to the person who ordered a salad because everybody else was ordering one and you thought you should, but doesn't want to eat a whole salad. Is there a taker? Is anybody interested in that approach? Now, if I was at the table, I'd be like, oh my goodness, that's me right over here. Thank you. And it would be fun and it would be playful or just to say, oh my gosh, you know, we got a new shrink ray back in the kitchen that sometimes if food goes over it, it shrinks the food. And I'm guessing one of these salads got caught in that. I'm so sorry. Let me go back and turn that thing off before anybody else gets a small salad, right? You could have fun with it and be playful with it. And that would create the kind of story that the customers would keep talking about long after the dinner ended. Sure. And you also have to wonder, a server that says something like that, you have to wonder what he says to other people about other things and how he feels about his job. And he clearly is disgruntled in some way because he's not focused on what it is that we expect servers to be focused on. But this story from Shep reminded me of a completely different and opposite story. I had the pleasure a couple of years ago of interviewing for my previous podcast, a guy named Scott Wise, who is the founder and CEO of Scotty's Brewhouse. It's a chain of like pizza breweries that uh, run through Indiana and also some other places in the Midwest. And one of the things that stuck with me about Scotty is that he told me that when people ask him what he does for a living, he says that he's in the customer service business. And I pushed him on it because I said, wait a minute, I thought you were in the restaurant business. And he said that to him, you can have a restaurant that has fantastic food and crappy service and you'll have no customers. But if you have a restaurant that has good food or great food and exceptional service, then you'll have loyal customers that come back again and again. So here he is, he's a restaurant owner and his belief is that the experience is actually more important than the food. You obviously can't have bad food and certainly the quality of the food is part of the experience. But if you're going to take one or the other, 
that his belief is, is that you have a great experience with good food versus a crappy experience with great food. What do you think? I totally agree. And I also think the experience needs to be in alignment with the expectation for the product. What I mean by that is, if this was at a fast food restaurant or kind of a a corner dive, you wouldn't expect a great waiter, right? You would just kind of be like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, they're getting whoever they can. But this is at an expensive high-end steak restaurant, right? And knowing Shep, and I say this respectfully, Shep's a, a connoisseur of food. He's eating with friends. It's probably a really nice restaurant. And to me, they're probably spending so much time in that restaurant focused on menu planning and the preparation of the food and making sure everything comes out at the right temperature and et cetera, et cetera. And yet the person handing the product to the customer is failing to deliver on the experience. You got to get your employees involved in the experience as well. And every employee you have contributes to the overall experience that customers have with your brand. And to your point, just a single employee can ruin that entire experience. So, you know, this seems like it's an obvious blunder. And I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that nobody on your team would ever do that. Because if you think about it, this happened at a very high-end steakhouse. And it happened to one of the most recognizable people in the customer service and customer experience world. And that, to me, suggests that it probably wasn't an isolated case and is indicative of either lack of training or something else that has gone wrong at the restaurant to create a bad experience likely for the employee who's now passing it on to the customer. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. So a good friend of mine, recently recounted a story of deciding not to renew his season ticket package to his favorite professional basketball team after, are you ready for this, 34 years. Wait a second. He was a customer for 34 years and decided not to renew? That is right. And of course, that caught my attention, which meant that I had to both write about it for Forbes, where we'll include a link in the show notes, and talk about it here on the Experience This Show, because... It's pretty rare that you have a customer for 34 years to begin with, and then even rarer that you just let them leave. Yeah, I'm in shock. (laughs) That is exactly what happened with this professional basketball team, which was unbelievable to me. So basically, every year, customers are asked, fans are asked to renew their season ticket membership. But it's just sort of this automated, impersonal process. And so, which by the way is a problem already, right? Like, if season tickets to professional sporting events are not cheap, no, by any no, means. And in fact, I did a little math for my Forbes article to try to estimate how much my friend had spent in 34 years. Now, I don't know where his seats are, but I basically looked up the average ticket price of a NBA game, and I was assuming just one ticket, 
let's be candid, very rarely does a season ticket holder just buy one ticket, right? You want to go with a friend. Sometimes you have two, sometimes you have a three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, my calculation was that it was easily $100,000 that he had spent in 34 years of buying tickets. And I guarantee that, and I love you dearly, but I guarantee that didn't take into account inflation and ticket price increases and all of those things. That was just a rough estimate. Or how about beers and hot dogs and nachos? I mean, none of that, right? And parking and whatever. So yeah, To say this guy was a loyal fan and a loyal customer is obviously an understatement. So about a couple of months ago, my friend gets an email from a team employee who is basically indicated as an account service executive, which, you know, sounds pretty damn friendly. And the email says, I hope all is well and you're enjoying the start of your summer. I wanted to touch base in regards to your season ticket plans for next year as our renewal deadline has passed. Please let me know if there's anything I can assist you with or if you have any questions or concerns. Thank you. So let me get this right. Hey, we haven't heard from you. The deadline is passed, which is the first time you've missed the deadline in 34 years. But let me send you a less than personalized email to see if I get your attention and kind of almost imply in the email that you did something wrong by letting the deadline pass. Yeah. And not only was the email itself impersonal, but I actually was surprised at the channel they used because I felt like email was an impersonal channel. I mean... If you've got a season ticket holder for 34 years that hasn't renewed, I'd expect, frankly, the president of the team to pick up the phone and call, or maybe maybe a player on the team. Like, at the very least. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. I don't disagree. But at the very least, the account executive who's responsible for these particular seats should pick up the phone and call. I mean, it sounds like an anomaly. Now, we don't know, I don't know, what your friend did in the previous years, but 34 years in, I got to imagine they're looking at that when they call up the records. You know what I mean? It's not like this is showing up as a one-time buyer. And what's interesting is he told me this, it's not in the article, but in a previous year, he had missed a deadline and they did call him and he ended up renewing. And so, you know, obviously... Yeah, exactly. So, folks, it works if you actually reach out to your customers and say, hey, I'm sure this was an oversight on your part. We'd love to get you set up again for next year. Pick up the phone. Get it done. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess. I have no idea. But I'm going to guess that this account executive is a few years out of college. And the reason I'm going to guess that is that the millennial population will pretty much do anything in order to not talk on the telephone. And... Therefore, email is often leaned on as a channel in the workplace when it is a it is generally an impersonal channel. So, well, I, I mean, for what it's worth, I would totally agree with you that increasing that, but I think that problem actually goes beyond millennials. I, and you weren't bagging on millennials, and I'm not saying we should either. But I think increasingly, this is an epidemic in every business. There's this thought of, oh, let's send emails instead of taking the time to call someone because it allows us to cross the thing off our list. But I was giving a speech recently and I asked the audience, I said, okay, raise your hand if you wish you were getting more emails. And there's a thousand people in the room and no one raises their hand, right? And I said, great. Now raise your hand if email is the number one tool you use to communicate with your customers. And every single hand goes up. I'm like, huh, look around the room something for us to learn here. And I feel like that same philosophy applies here. This is a loyal customer. Yeah, it even happens within companies. It's it's the number one tool for communicating with colleagues, even when, they're, when their desk is 50 feet away. You know, it's like, 
we can't just get up and walk over and talk to them. You got to send an email. In any event, so my guy writes back, you know, pretty quickly. I think he took 20 minutes and he wrote back in basically a two sentence response that said, and, you know, we can't probably read all of it uh, on this family show, but it basically said that the team stunk. And so therefore he, he was done uh, being a season ticket holder. A couple hours later. So, so just to make sure I understand, he decided to leave because the team was not performing well. He was tired of them losing. Uh, that, I think that was a big part of that it. That was a big and, piece, or at least that's uh, a big and, reason he gave in the email. Well, and certainly, yeah. I mean, I think other reasons include, you know, 34 years ago, we didn't have big screen TVs in our house to sure, be able to watch sure. a game with slow-mo and replay. And- but, you know, here's the crazy thing. One year ago, we did. And two years ago, we did, and he renewed in those years. Yes, that is true. That is so. True. Maybe this was just the breaking point, but I sense there's a bigger reason here, or a bigger issue beyond the team. And my gut instinct, it's he didn't feel appreciated. Well, I think that could be true too. And uh, and one of the things that I've seen with some other teams lately, uh, like I have been to, uh, for example, I was at, I know this is going to shock you. I was at a Cubs game a couple weeks ago. What? The Chicago Cubs game, Dan Gingas? That is stunning. Ladies and gentlemen, we have breaking news. Dan Gingas attended a Chicago Cubs game. Yes, and while I attended that game, I sat behind a person who was a season ticket holder, and I knew that because he was wearing a specially crafted Cubs hat that said 20 years season ticket holder on it. Which nice, nice. That's awesome. You give status to your best customers. And then guess what? Especially in a team setting, right? With fans, they want to promote that. Right. So what does my friend get back? He gets back at another email. And this one says, thank you for your loyalty and support of the team over the last 34 years. We truly appreciate you. We are so sorry to see you go. If there's anything I can do for you in the future, please let me know. And I'd be happy to help. Thank you. Now, again, I'm not knocking the writing. It was very nice. It was a lovely note, but like, that's it. It's a polite note, but let's be candid. It's cold. It's not personal. There's no try to connect. There's no try to upsell. There's no, oh my gosh, we're heartbroken to see you go. The team won't be the same without you. Like there's so many things that could go into that email. It actually almost feels like, hey, thanks. We're glad you're going so that we can sell the ticket to someone else. I dare them to find uh, someone else who's going to stay for 34 years, right? So even though they probably will be able to resell the tickets, I think that's sort of missing the point, which is you had a guy who had these tickets for that long. And you're right. They did absolutely nothing to try to keep them. He didn't, they didn't give any sort of offer or maybe a price break or offering a smaller ticket package or maybe even giving him some sort of uh, exclusive on-court opportunity or something that would say, hey, we really value you and we really, what can we do to get you to stay? And instead, it was just, thanks a lot for your loyalty, see you later, and close the door. And I thought that was really unbelievable and and surprising because these ticket departments in with these major league and, and professional teams, they're the revenue generators, right? It's like this is how this is how the teams make enough money to pay those salaries. It's a really important part of their business. And so it was very surprising to me that this was the experience he had. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've I've been to some pro sports games recently and let's be candid, they're not usually selling out the stadium. 
usually there's empty seats. And if you've got somebody who's willing to keep supporting and buy tickets year after year, you got to hold on to that customer like they're gold. I mean, we've, and the, the crazy thing is, is if that wasn't bad enough, uh, we talked about in, in an earlier episode here in season two about the importance of making endings as remarkable as beginnings. And I kind of told the story of my recent move and canceling some services. I mean, here's the thing. If you've been a customer for 34 years, and they're not going to really embrace you on your way out, 34 years of goodwill, 34 years of loyalty are flushed away. Don't make that mistake. Pay attention to the people who've been with you for a long time. That's how you get them to continue to stay with you for a long time into the future. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? I know we talk a lot about customer experience from a consumer perspective on this show. So I wanted to share a B2B or business-to-business story today. Now, this one involves another friend of Dan's. And uh, before you make a comment there... <laughs> I, love when, <laughs> I love how many stories... So I've got a friend. I'm, I'm reminded of so many of those like relationship call-in shows where it's like, so I have a friend that did this. And you're like, yeah, dude, you were the friend. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Asking for a friend, right. But actually, as I know you ex- you experienced this as well, Joey, that you know, because we do this show, we get a lot of people that talk to us and come to us with stories. And- we do, and we love that. And by the way, listeners, if you want to do that too, go to experiencethisshow.com, click on the SpeakPipe widget, and leave us a little message. Tell us about your situation. We may think of you as a friend on a future episode. Exactly. And because this, again, is not a positive story, the friend did not want to be mentioned or the company mentioned. <laughs> and uh, and that's why we're sounding like we're being a little mysterious, but it's not intentional. So in any event, uh, said friend was at an event that was sponsored by a partner of his company. And he brought along one of his clients to introduce to this partner. And it was a very nice event. They served drinks and light appetizers. They had a couple of presentations from one of the partner's clients and some other people. And it was a casual thing, but a nice event. Typical business event. Everybody's feeling good. Everybody's had some drinks, had some apps, seen a couple of presentations, and we're going to get the chance to potentially do some business with this new introduction. Exactly. So one of the founders of the partner company does a presentation at this event, and there's a slide in it that highlights a bunch of logos of of their various partners, which is really nice because there were some of the partners in the room and I think it made them feel real good. And I thought it was a really nice touch for him not to just be talking about his own company, but to be referencing other partners that, you know, frankly, help his company be successful as well. Nice. Sharing the love. I like it. Yeah, exactly. So his presentation ends and there's a Q&A section and one of the members of the audience raises their hand and says, hey, you know, notice that slide with all the logos on it. I'm wondering about these companies in particular it was sort of a section of the, you know, of the logo page and do they really work? And admittedly, you know, the guy was put a little bit on the spot because he's being asked now about other companies. Welcome to the joy of live Q&A, folks. If you're going to open the mic, be ready for any question. Exactly. And I don't think he was ready for this question. Oh, no. He basically went on to bash my friend's company, saying, among other things, that he thought that his clients could get 80% of the way there without using 
my friend's company, and even poking some fun at some of the outputs of this company, you know, some of the deliverables that they have. So my Wait, friend- so on the heel, I'm sorry, forgive me for So on the heels of showing the slides and saying, these are our partners, he then proceeds to denigrate one of the partners on the presentation slide that he just showed. Yes, it kind of makes you wonder why the partner was even on the logo slide in the first place. Well, yeah, I mean, at that point, why why are you a partner? Like if your partner, if somebody who's quote unquote a partner, it doesn't do a good job, let's not be partners exactly. anymore. That's pretty straightforward. Exactly. So obviously my friend was mortified. He's there with a client and he and he brought the client specifically to meet this partner. Right. To introduce him. Like I know what happened. Like how does the partner not know? Oh, wow. Wow. Right. Now, thankfully, uh, according to my friend, his client was equally mortified because he knew that that number, the 80% number was false because, it, because in his own experience, he had had a lot of success with my friend's company. So the client was sort of sympathetic. You know, it wasn't like he wasn't at risk of losing his client or anything. The client was actually sympathetic, but still an incredibly awkward, awkward situation. So it could have ended there. Oh, but no. That might really? Have been enough of a really? story, uh, right? No, this wasn't enough of it. This, this, this in and of itself was <laughs> not enough of a segment to say, folks, pay attention when we're talking about our partners, especially on stage publicly. Come on. Like it's worse. Exactly. So the problem is he didn't actually know what he had done. And so after his presentation, he's everybody's having drinks, as you mentioned, and he comes up to my friend. And according to my friend, the first thing he says is, how do you think that went? And my friend is like, not well. And he's like, what do you mean? And he goes on to say, like, you know, I, I don't think you were very complimentary of our company. I didn't appreciate you talking a smack from the stage. Uh, that's not normally how I like to hear our company referred. Exactly. And so he sort of let him have it. And the guy's response, I mean, I can't make this up, right? So this is why, you know, again, uh, I hate to be mysterious about the friend, but you can't make this stuff up even if you tried. My friend says that the guy apologized, but that he said, I'm sorry, I didn't know you'd be here. And my friend was like, wait a second. So if you knew I wasn't here, then you'd be okay. If you wouldn't have been in the room, it would have been totally okay. Sorry, I didn't know you were coming because I only normally talk trash about you when you're not in the room. Yeah. So, I mean, truly, truly unbelievable. And, you know, look. B2B companies, there's a lot of them out there, and they depend on these partnerships because it's very hard to go at it alone. And frankly, a lot of clients end up using more than one partner at the same time. And so it sort of behooves them to work together because they can pitch clients together or prospects together and they can integrate technology, et cetera. But this obviously is not the way to handle a partnership. Not at all. I mean, there, there's so many problems with this. Number one, if somebody's a partner and you're not ready to speak positively about them, they shouldn't be a partner. Number two, if you are going to show a slide in your presentation saying who your partners are, know that you are known and your reputation hinges on the company you keep. So you better feel good about the status and the quality of the work that your partners do. Number three, if you're on stage and you open it up to Q&A, you better darn well be prepared to handle a question. And it sounds like the way the question was asked it, it wasn't a loaded question. It wasn't a setup. It was an honest question that this speaker decided to take in a direction. And I don't know if they were trying to be cute or trying to be edgy, but it's like, why would you ever 
talk negatively about your partners. You know, there's so many ways this could have been better. And there are so many points in this story where there should have been warning bells going off, letting them know, no, this is not the way to do it. Yeah. And, you know, we said at the beginning of the show today that you and I kind of make a policy out of not talking bad about companies because, frankly, there's plenty of people talking about them without us that you and I try to find positives. And well, that, and it's also just bad form. And it is. It is. Yeah, it is bad form. I mean, let's be a grown up. Let's be a grown up. Like, we know that there are companies that have bad experiences. You and I have negative customer experiences all the time, but there's no reason to you know, whine about that publicly. We, we try to use it from a teaching point of view of like, hey, here's what happened and here's what we can learn to avoid in the future. But yeah, come on, folks. We, we need to be better at this. So look, whether you are a B2B or B2C company, many companies end up in partnerships. And one example that I wrote about for our friends at Oracle on their Smarter CX site was about co-branded credit cards. So in a co-branded credit card, you have three different parties. You have the, the branded party, which is your retailer or your travel company or whatever it is, your airline that's kind of got their logo on the card. You've got the credit card issuer, which is going to be a Citibank or a Chase or somebody like that. And then you've got the credit card network, which is going to be a a Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover. And so you've got three different parties that are all part of the same product. And when that happens, they're often very dependent on each other. And an experience fail with one of those parties is then attributed, sometimes falsely, to the other parties. And so when you establish partnerships, it's really important that there's a strong level of trust and that your partners are really well-versed in your own company's offering and their competitive advantage so that they at least know enough to be dangerous to talk about you. And obviously, if given the chance, don't badmouth your partners in public. We've talked. You've listened. Now it's time to act. There are many things you could do to take what you've learned in this episode and implement it. But at times, that can feel overwhelming. Instead, why not just focus on three takeaways? Takeaway number one, have you properly trained your employees to take responsibility and not to make excuses to customers? Shep Hyken had a bad experience at a high-end restaurant because the server didn't think it was his problem that one salad arrived much smaller than the other's. The server was obviously not well-trained to take care of the customer and not try to assign blame to someone else. Takeaway number two, are you paying attention to your highest value customers or are you taking them for granted? Dan's good friend canceled his season tickets after 34 years because the team wasn't paying attention to him. It's critical to understand the experience of your best customers before something negative happens. If a company shows genuine interest in the customer's experience and feedback throughout the relationship, the customer is much more likely to be forgiving of future mistakes or problems. Are you taking care of your long-term customers as well as your current customers? Are you continuing to build on the relationship of people who have done business with you for a long time instead of taking them for granted? Takeaway number three. Are you acting like a partner to your partners? Dan's friend's company thought they had established a strong partnership with another company until they were embarrassed by that partner bashing them in public. A true partnership must be mutually beneficial, which means both sides are looking out for each other. 
Only partner with companies you truly trust and consider including some contractual language governing how each talks about the other in public. Those are three takeaways for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Experience This. If you haven't had a chance to leave us a review on the podcast on iTunes, we would so appreciate it. It means a ton to us and it helps others find the show. You can also mention us in your social channels and perhaps share with us one of your favorite segments so that we know what's working for you and we can deliver more of it in future episodes. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.